Welcome to the Relief Teachers podcast brought to you by Tradewind Australia. My name's Ian McNally and this podcast is a recording from a live webinar in January 2021 with my colleagues and former principals Billy Green and Terry Toomey. In this webinar we looked at the essentials when applying for a teaching role. The preparation that you need to do before applying where to look for a job and how Tradewind can help you with the next step of your career. I started the webinar by asking Billy Green, what is the first thing you need to understand when embarking on the application process? Yeah, look, I think one of the things that we do need to reiterate, particularly if you are applying for jobs in the government system, is that it really is a process you really have to do the groundwork and you actually have to know what is required. You can spend an enormous, or actually not spend, waste an enormous amount of time putting in applications for jobs, particularly in government schools, if you don't understand what the process is. And like most uh, most situations, when you are actually in the system, it's a little easier to understand what the process is. When you're on the outside looking in, it's actually really it, look, it is actually complicated and it even looks more complicated when you're looking in from the outside because you've got a whole range of processes that you have to go through and even language that, you have to, that you'll be introduced to that you've not come across before. So I guess what we want to try to do is to break down uh, that problem this morning for those people who are outside the system. Applying for jobs in the Catholic system and in the independent system is, in a sense, not quite as structured and it's not quite as hard. But nonetheless, there are still processes that you have to follow there to give yourself the best possible chance. The problem with the government system is that if you don't fulfil all of the set criteria and if you don't manage it in the set way, you are not even a chance. And that you could be as good a teacher, you could be as good a principal as Terry Toomey, Right, But if you don't apply in the uh, fashion that is required, the selection panel, and there's a term there we're going to pick apart this morning, won't even consider your application. So you could be the best candidate, but if you don't apply in the way that's required, your application won't be considered. Now that looks unfair and it looks uh, unnecessarily difficult, but what it is, the whole point of the... um, the government system one is to make it a, a level playing field, if you like, so that everyone applies on the same uh, basis and that there's no, I know such and such, so I'll interview him anyway. Everyone must apply. Uh, even a person who is acting in a position, for example, if you were acting principal at a school or you're act, you've picked up a job as a contractor and the job comes up, you must put in an application. They can't just say, oh, Ian's doing a great job, let's interview him anyway. No way. You Everyone must apply uh, under the system in the government school and it is complicated and we're going to try to pick that apart. So I guess what I, I, the first thing I would say Ian, is that you do have to get your head around what's required of you, which is a, uh, leaving aside all your knowledge about teaching and what you know about kids and learning and whatever, all, just leaving, leaving that aside, you need to understand the process because without doing that properly, you won't even get to first base. Terry, what do you think? Yeah, oh, well, Billy, it's so competitive as well. And I think, um, you know, you've got to be reasonably confident that what you're submitting, um, even beforehand, like, um, is your sort of application in good shape? Is it good enough to submit 
Tradewind's got, I think, very user-friendly sort of sway documents that provide, I think, excellent guidance for people. They've got people like you and I around that you know can take a look at a final product b- before it's submitted. But it, it is an incredibly uh, competitive process. Therefore, even little things, Billy, like uh, is it addressed properly? Um, if you're sending in a range of applications, have you got the school right? Because um, as you and I know, sometimes for these jobs, we're getting 60 applications. And we'll talk about the panel in a minute, but there's, you know, um, four or five people on the panel. And in some ways, Billy, we're looking, give us a reason not to interview you. So if there are glaring errors or mistakes there, then there are applications that we wouldn't even consider. And I think it's, it's good for people to be well aware of that at the beginning. I, when Terry and I have presented these talks in face-to-face or these professional developments on applying for jobs, particularly for applying for jobs in government schools, we do start the session by um, outlining the cruelty of the, um, uh, and it is almost cruel, uh, of the um, application process. And that really is, if you've got, uh, as Terry said, 60 applicants for a role, you can only appoint one. But not only that, you are only going to interview perhaps five. What that actually means, the implication there is there are 55 people who are going to miss out. And it's not a nursery and we're not trying to help the 55 along necessarily. We are time poor. Uh, We don't have HR departments to run those processes for us. People who select staff at schools have got to continue their normal jobs, which you may be the principal, you may be the leader of the grade six or the English department, and you may be a classroom teacher on the on the on what we call a selection panel, which as I said, we'll discuss in a minute. They are still doing their jobs. They have then got to read these 60 applications and get it down to five to interview, run the interviews and select one person. So if you don't meet the criteria or you don't follow the protocol, that's one less application that we have to read. Now, I know that sounds really harsh, but that's the way that it is. So if you muck anything up along that way, we just simply don't read it. And uh, it just gets pushed to the side. So for example, if you drop into the school with an application and it's the best application, but you haven't applied through recruitment online, under the conditions, we don't read your application. So as I said, you've got to get your head around how it all works. And what it's and, and one of the things that we try to talk about when we have these face-to-face and we'll talk about is you need to understand what it looks like from the school's point of view. I know it's important to look at it, your application from your point of view, but what's actually going on at the school's point of view? How are those things organised? And that'll give you more insight about how you go about writing your application. I think you make a really important point of seeing things from the school's point of view because I don't think I did that when I was a new grad uh, looking for a teaching role. I didn't understand quite how expensive and time-consuming just advertising one job in a school is for a, for a school when you add up all the man hours, when you add up all of the cost of advertising. Sometimes school advertise on Seek or use a recruitment agency and so on. It can add up all of those hours in terms of the reception staff, in terms of teaching staff, and also you're talking um, governors involved maybe on the panel and also the, the higher paid senior teachers taking hours out of their day uh, it's a very costly circumstance, isn't it? And if they don't get the right teacher or if they don't follow protocol through recruitment online as outlined by the departments, then the ramifications can be quite severe. Yeah, absolutely. People can apply. If, we, for, if Terry and I, for example, at, were at the same school and we made an appointment outside of the guidelines, 
Other candidates can appeal that and have that um, process dismissed and it starts again. And that is a absurd waste of time and energy. So we, you, you, schools don't go outside the protocols where they can help it or they should never go outside those protocols because they run the risk of the process being overturned. So we do stick to those. And I think the other thing that we haven't mentioned there is that schools, Terry, and you, you've got a really good uh, phrase for this, they're after value for money. They want real confidence in their selection because the person that they select is in a sense representing you, aren't they? Oh, look, absolutely, Billy. That's the way I used to uh, to look at it. Um, that regardless who whoever I appointed to a position or whoever was recommended to me by the panel, I had to be reasonably confident or as confident as I could be that that person is the best person to represent me. And, um, yeah, I, I think that's... That's critical. These are really serious decisions for schools in terms of getting it right. So applicants shouldn't necessarily think that we're looking, you know, for the least expensive teacher. Uh, in a sense, I always found, Billy, that uh, the best teacher ends up being the cheapest teacher anyway. So don't don't be too concerned, you know, that if you're an experienced teacher, um, you know, the budgetary considerations will come into play. In fact, it was the opposite with me. I just wanted the best teacher. Um, because I felt found over the journey that that they would uh, be uh, more inclined to be uh, self-managing and, and require sort of uh, less support. If if schools are after you know cheaper or in, often they want younger teachers, they'll actually advertise a graduate job, and that is restricted to graduates, and that's fine. Outside of that, they are looking for any, um, as you say, the best teacher. And one of the reasons that they're doing that is, and picking up on all Terry's points, is it's not like. Um, uh, selecting a gardener for your house and finding that, that oh, I didn't cut the grass that well, so I'll, I'll try some other firm and I'll get someone else in and then I'll try someone till I get... That that does not ha- happen in schools. And you might think, well, why doesn't it happen? Well, could you imagine, put yourself in the position, and I'll use a primary example, of the prep parents. There is absolutely no way that they are going to accept three different prep teachers in a year until we find the right one. That That is not acceptable. So the obligation at the school's level is to find the right person that is ready to there to teach, not just perhaps for one year, but to stay with the school over a period of years and develop their expertise and their skills and deliver for the school. So we are, it's a serious, serious process. And, uh, and that's why, uh, you know, when you are applying for jobs, you need to understand just how much commitment the school puts into it because they are not, it's not something you can just say, oh, let's give this a go for a term and oh, if he doesn't work out, we'll get someone else. That's not the way it's going to work. So, I mean, I thought what we might do then just from the government point of view, and you've probably got more experience in the, um, in the Catholic sector, but from the government point of view, just go through and outline some of the processes. So usually at this time of the year, and I think uh, we had a look at recruitment online this morning, there's around uh, 261 jobs up there at the moment. Uh, just under 100 of them are primary jobs and uh, about 165 are secondary jobs. So to explain how that would work then for um, the people tuning in today, each of those schools by this stage, because they've advertised the job, would have a selection panel. And that selection panel would comprise of either the principal or a delegated person, so perhaps an assistant or a very senior teacher. Uh, someone probably, Terry, in your situation, if it was a science job, someone from out of the science department and perhaps a, 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 a science teacher as well. Would that be how it worked at a second? Oh, absolutely. Step? There was a specific you know, degree of expertise in, in a specialised area like that, Billy, or we would always get input, you know, whether it was technology or science or maths. And I found that 
you know, people from those areas are only too keen to be on the panel because they've, they've got a vested interest, if you like, um, in the selection that's made. Exactly. So if we were looking, for example, uh, in a primary setting for a prep teacher to start this year, it would be the principal on the panel with probably the leader of the prep and perhaps even a, a prep or a grade one teacher as well, because they're going to be working with those people. So they need to be uh, confident that the person that they select is going to be a good match. Now you might think, well, why am I telling, uh, why, why are we bother talking about the selection panel? Because that is absolutely crucial. You have to understand that they are the people who are going to read your application and people who go on those panels will know their school and they will know exactly what they're after. The principal, um, as the person who carries, if you like, the vision of the school, will have a very uh, firm understanding of what the school is looking for. And those people who are going to work with you, whether it's the science department or the prep classes or whatever, will also have a fairly good understanding of what they're looking for. So you need to understand that because when you are framing your application, when we get to talk about that later in the day, you need to think, you certainly can't bluff. If you're bluffing to those people, or even if you bluff your way through to the interview, they will be the same people who interview you. So the selection panel reads the applications, they shortlist the applicants, and they also run the interviews. So again, Terry, it's really important that people understand it's not an HR department, it is actually the people you'll end up working with. Yeah, critical, Billy. And I think the subtext for any interview is, from the panel's perspective, how's this person going to fit in? to our organisation, you know, are they going to be high maintenance or are they going to be someone who's going to be great to work with, um, they're, they're enthusiastic, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's that, that's a key, and you might not get a question on that, but just be, be aware that that's what the staff on the panel are trying to, uh, to sort out, I reckon. And that leads us to the research part, and then, because you need to research those schools. If you're going to apply for, um, uh, it doesn't matter what school, let's call it um, Creswick North Primary School, if they've got a particular culture and a particular way of going about things and a particular cohort of kids and a particular style of teaching and parents and whatever, you need to be able to bring that to your application and you need to be able to bring that to interview. You, you could write a really great generic um, application and it may get you somewhere if the other applications aren't great. But if you're up against four or five people who've done their research on Creswick North Primary School and they have nailed it and they're ap actually applying for the role that's, and they, they're, they're demonstrating in their application that they're the person that's going to fit into that school, they'll get the interview and at the interview they'll, one of those will get the job. So you can't just send out... If you're sending out... Uh, 100 applications to 100 different schools and all you're doing is changing the name of the school and wondering why you're not getting an interview, I'd probably suggest that's why, Terry. Oh, look, absolutely, Billy. Tailoring's the word. Your application's got to be tailored to the school and you've got to show that you do have relevant um, local knowledge in, in relation to, um, you know, uh, all the key factors around that school. If you noticed that in the sectors you've worked in? Yeah, absolutely. Before I uh, talk about that, though, I'll just give a couple of practical resources here. Um, when we are trying to research a school, um, obviously the school's website is a good port of call. I find uh, some schools have their newsletters online where you can get a real good feel about the size of the school, their attitude, their communication with the community and parents and so on. But a really good resource that I've used in the past is um, is my school. Particularly, it'll give you all those schools in that area. It gives you their student numbers. 
It also gives you the, um, their NAPLAN results, their attendance figures, even their finances, which uh, I wouldn't necessarily bring up in an interview, but um, it also gives you the breakdown of the socioeconomic uh, advantage measurement, number of teaching staff and so on, and the breakdown of male female students as well as language background as well so i think that can be a really useful tool in giving you an idea i fully agree i think you'd be mad if you didn't look at that but be very aware when you are writing your application that you don't dwell on any of the potential negatives that you pick up from that website so for example you wouldn't be writing about um gee i noticed your school's got your naplan spelling results are pretty bad last year you wouldn't be writing anything like that. But you will pick up on some of their general cultural things and some of their priorities. Um, and that some of those priorities may be, for example, around English or spelling or whatever and working towards improvement. So you would talk about them in a positive way rather than a negative way. But you would be mad if you didn't look, if you were, if you were serious about applying for a particular school, if you didn't look at my, um, that website and you didn't look at the school's website, you're putting yourself at a serious disadvantage. Terry, you'd even know that from people that you're, you'd want them when you, at an interview particularly, to be able to talk a little bit about your school, wouldn't you? Oh, definitely. Look, you know, I'd be disappointed if they um, hadn't been on the website or hadn't checked us out in some way. Um, we'll talk about it later, but um, often schools, you know, provide applicants with the opportunity for a tour if, if they want it. But, and I think... That's an excellent point you just made there, Billy, about being aware of the challenges that the school might face, but couching it in terms of where you feel like you might be able to make a positive contribution rather than um, the school doesn't want to hear anything particularly negative. It's aware of all the challenges that it, that it's facing and they're not you know, they're looking for someone to be an authority who really doesn't know anything about the school anyway, but it does help you pick up on the sort of things that they're working hard um, on, you know, as part of their strategic plan and, and that sort of thing. And the other thing, Ian, particularly uh, not necessarily for, oh, it could happen anywhere, but like quite often if you get a younger teacher, so a graduate teacher role or, but it can happen with senior teachers as well. One of the questions we might ask just as a bit of an icebreaker uh, is, uh, you know, we might say, Ian, so lovely to meet you. Thanks. We'll get underway with a pretty simple one. What is it that attracted you to, um, you know, uh, Billy Green Primary School and if you haven't got an answer or your answer is like oh well I just I don't know it's just one of a hundred on there it's like well, well good thanks very much we'll wrap this interview up quickly so you know that's a that's a um, if you get a question like that that's a free hit basically if you've done your research you can talk about what's attracted you to the school um, how do you feel that you can fit in culturally and benefit the school? That's a great opportunity. But if you've not done that research, um, that will put you to the bottom of the pile. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to your question before, Billy, of just about my experience with uh, independence Catholic schools, I think certainly it's not as formalized in a sense of bureaucracy in terms of the state sector where you have to tick all of those boxes. It's a bit more freewheeling than that, uh, it seems. But in essence, it is the same. Certainly the interviews I've been to, they, they've always had a panel, a mixture of senior staff. Sometimes they've had students on that panel. Uh, or invited them in for a short time and somebody from the governing body or diocese perhaps a parish priest or somebody who works for the catholic education office so the, it is a serious business um i did go to one interview where they said just come in it's not really an interview it's an informal chat 
and I did come out of it feeling very battered and bruised after an hour of intense questioning. So um, thankfully, I'd prepared. When they said it's an informal chat, my brain said, this is a trap. Uh, I should really prepare and do due diligence. Um, and I, d I did end up getting that job. But I think one of the reasons was is I'd done the preparation on the school, but also I'd arranged the walk around that school beforehand. And once I got the job that I was the only candidate who requested to have a walk around the school. But that was really useful because I walked around the school and thought to myself, is this a place I want to teach? Is this a place I can see myself teaching? Is this a place where I can make a difference as a teacher? But also it gave me heaps of clues about the school and what needed to be done because I was taking a job mid-year and clearly just looking at the school, the classroom that I would have been in, uh, there was heaps of clues about what they'd been taught and what they needed to be uh, taught in that class. So uh, very, very useful to do that type of preparation and personal preparation as well. Yeah, it's a, probably a black mark against you if you don't take that opportunity too, Billy. But also from the school's perspective, just be aware that um, when you're wandering around on the tour, that there's a sub subtext sort of happening there. We're actually interviewing you. Um you know, because uh, the person that used to take the tours for me, uh, they'd always come back and give me a yes or no uh, in terms of anybody they ever showed ar around the school. That was, you know, prior to any shortlisting or interview. And that was just sort of based on, you know, they were experienced and, and they um, would make a judgment about whether the, or not they would think you would be a good fit for us. So just be aware, you know, don't be too casual on that tour because we're really checking you out. And the other thing that we need to talk about then is just the timelines and things. They're really important as well, particularly uh, on all in all schools, but certainly in the government website. Uh, once the timeline has closed, um, there's no point sending your application in unless you get a, an exemption from the selection panel they won't accept anymore. So it's really important that you understand that the timelines usually run for about two weeks. And if you miss that timeline, if you don't get it in, if something's wrong with your recruitment online, so I would always advise with all government websites, I don't know if you noticed the last few days, it was a little hard to get a permit coming back from New South Wales. But um, with all government websites, there are issues. So if you're leaving it to the very last minute on recruitment online, you are asking for trouble. So don't do that. And the way that you need to get around that, of course, is to have something pre-prepared. Now, we've spoken about not having generic applications, and we're going to talk about applications this afternoon. Don't put generic applications in is what I'm saying. But have a generic application, if you like, ready that you can manipulate uh, to suit the needs of the school because all applications in the Victorian government sector, they will all have the same five criteria. So it's really important that you understand, you've read that criteria, you understand what they're on about and you've got your knowledge and your application ready around those. And, and there are plenty of really great resources on the government system to help you out. Effectively, what the criteria are, they're looking at curriculum, they're looking at teaching strategies, they're looking at assessment and data, they're looking at communication, and they're looking at values. And all of those uh, areas, which make up basically what your roles and responsibilities are, They've all got dedicated articles or um, sections on the government website and you would be absolutely mad, again, Ian, as a resource if you haven't looked at those because you're putting yourself way behind everybody else if you can't use the language and if you're not able to address 
those criteria in the language that's expected. So I think one of the ones that uh, people don't often look at because it's not, um, no, it's a little harder to find, but it's a really important document is just the roles and responsibilities. You really need to have, it's a, I think it's a great document because say for example, if you're a graduate teacher, it actually lists what your roles and responsibilities are and you can scroll through those and think, do I know enough about this? And if I don't, which is okay because you know universities aren't um, universities aren't there to prepare you uh, for a job necessarily. They're with the government department. They're there to prepare you as a teacher, but you may not be quite across exactly what's required of you. And if you don't have enough information on what's required, and and, and there, it's as you can just see from there, they're well set out. It doesn't. It's not going to take you forever to read. You just think, all right. Um, just say for example, let's talk about how you would manage uh, data and assessment. If you're not quite 100% about that, then you must go and research that. And there are other sites on the Victorian government website that'll help you out with that. And even if you're applying for a Catholic school, the information on the Victorian government website around assessment and data is fantastic. So I would say, look at what the roles and responsibilities are, try to find them out from the school's website, what they put in the application or the advertisement, and then just think, have I got enough information about that? And if you haven't, then go and research. And that's why you don't want to wait too long because you've only got basically two weeks. And if you leave it, you think, oh, well, it's due on, say, Friday night. I'll do it Thursday. Well, I'll guarantee you won't get it done. So, yeah, and it's, um, or and Terry, it's, those roles and responsibilities are, are crucial, aren't they? Oh, look, absolutely, Billy. And I think we've all got significant deficit areas when we begin this process. And I think... Um, yeah, just to be, to be aware of those, that self-awareness in that area and the opportunity to do something about it. But as you say, the, it's a 14-day process in terms of applying for a position, but you need to be able to hit the ground running. Yeah, and, and the other thing is you won't waste any time doing this. I mean, it sounds like a lot of work. and Well, it is. Let's concede it's a whole stack of work. But nonetheless, once you've got it there and done it once, you can keep refining it. And uh, the people that contact us with help with their um, application, many of them are not getting any interviews. But those that are getting lots of interviews, it basically is saying their application's good and they just need to work on the... But you find the people who are getting interviews get lots of interviews, Terry, don't they? They may not get the job always, but their application's obviously working because they get lots of interviews. Absolutely. And I think this is one of the best investments you could ever make, Billy. Um, You know, getting your application you know, to a stage that no matter what job comes up, then you were then, the focus is just tailoring it to that specific school because you've done the hard yards, you've done the work. So th- this can be an investment, um, a significant investment for the uh, medium term. On the note about knowing exactly where you're up to in your teaching career as well, it's so important that you're able to reflect before you write your application and maybe during um I'll just put in the chat the link to the ATOL self-assessment tool. I've personally used this. I think it's really useful. Um, Teachers can do this and it will identify your um, strengths and areas of improvement. Uh, It takes about an hour, maybe a bit more uh, to do this, but you can keep revisiting it and save it on your account. I think it's a really useful document to do when you're embarking on that application process. Certainly, if you do this, you can record that process as part of your VIT hours as you you record this webinar as well as part of your VIT hours as well. I think that's a really useful thing. Um, One thing I want to talk about as well is just around the application process being quite emotional 
because you put in so much effort into this and if you get fixated on a particular school you have all your hopes and dreams you can see yourself in that school and then you either don't get an interview or you get an interview you don't get the job it's an exhausting process isn't it can we acknowledge that it's like buying a house or some other significant things that we do in our life when we miss out on these things we can often think well it's not worth it I'll just give up you know it's if I invested all of that energy and time into this particular school and I didn't even get an interview then what is the hope how do we cope with that as teachers um, to keep on going well I think one thing you've got to do Ian is be realistic about uh, the job market and it is very competitive so you don't know anything about any of the other candidates uh, and you don't even know, and what we, we talk about um, real jobs, uh, and I know that's an uncomfortable sort of term and it's somewhat uncomfortable even talking about it, but sometimes it's very difficult. Take the situation that Ian, you raised before. Just say they did a, uh, advertise mid-year for a job, and in, in the Victorian government sector, uh, jobs come up um, mid-year occasionally. But if Terry, for example, has been working at the school in that role in a contract position, but I have to advertise it in June. And Terry's doing a great job. The school's probably going to keep Terry on. So in other words, is the job real? Perhaps not. The next, the person to knock Terry off would have to be outstanding because otherwise we're making a change at the school that's not overly necessary, but we're actually advertising the job because uh, under the regulations we have to. So. You've, I think that's the other thing. You've just got to understand, and I don't mean to, that's not being critical of schools or, or, or even the process. I guess what I'm getting to there is that it, it's you don't know who the other candidates are and it is a very competitive process. So you could be up against um, some absolute high flyers that you've never met and they may just get that job. But I think what Terry said, you haven't wasted your time if you've put together and you keep working on putting together a really good application, because that is something that you don't have to go back and rewrite. It is something that you may need to get some assistance with, or you may need to reshape, but it's not a waste of time. So yep, you will be disappointed, but that's life's a bit like that. But you haven't wasted your time, Terry, by putting together uh, the application. And I don't think, it's a bit like, um, I don't wanna sound like a, a hackneyed old footy coach, but you can only control the things you can control and you can't control yeah. who applies for the job. Yeah, look, good advice, Billy. I think this is the best form of professional learning that you can ever do if you, as long as you're ready for it in terms of the application because it's uh, demanding, it's testing, but also like it's, it's, it's part of the learning journey and, that, and, and see it as an investment because if you're lucky enough to be shortlisted and get an interview, but by the time you get your third or fourth interview then we see significant improvement, I think, in, in terms of applicants. So try not to um, have unrealistic expectations in terms of whether you're going to pick up a position because, as you say, you don't know who else is applying. But if you apply and are shortlisted and interview and do well and get good feedback, um, I think that is huge in terms of your development going forward. And what it probably means is that you're in a very good position to get the next job uh, that you apply for. And I often say that to people I work with, even for Tradewind, that um, maybe the job that you go for and don't get 
is going to get you the job that you do get in, in a very short period of time. Absolutely. If you can get to the point where you get shortlisted, you should never underestimate how good that is. As I said, you can, we can often get 50, 60, even sometimes you get 100 applications. If you're down to the last five, you've done really well. And quite often, well, I, I know from my experience, we quite often weren't able to give um, a person a job, but we would say to them, look, next time something comes up, make sure you apply. You are an excellent candidate. They apply and they get the job. So I think you've got to frame it in those ways um, as well. And, and picking up Terry's point around, um, and this is also a word of warning around your research, it is one of the best professional development activities you'll go through because what you actually have to do, we've said, oh, go and read this, go and read that, go and read that. That's fine. But what you then have to do is to actually be able to synthesize that information, put it in your own words and come to your own terms about um, assessment or curriculum or high impact teaching strategies. When you, when you write your application, you cannot just simply praise the government website advice. What you've actually got to do is internalize it and work out what does that actually mean for you and your teaching and how would you actually present that with kids and in a particular school. And that thinking process makes you a better teacher. You can't just, oh, I've read the, uh, I've read the assessment document and you summarize it. If you send me a summary in your application, I barely want, I, I want, I'm not interested. I want to know what you know about assessment and how you're going to use assessment in my school to improve student outcomes. So that learning process of going through and then having to write it down is a fantastic learning process uh, and something you may not have approached before and I, and you do that with everything with the curriculum high impact teaching strategies the the government values how do those government values uh, manifest in your teaching so it's a great experience to go through those documents and seriously if you don't and if you haven't done them and you're just sending off applications and wondering why you're not getting anywhere, it's probably because of that. Yeah, and going through that process, I think, is so valuable, even if you don't get an interview, because the best teaching that happens is tailored directly to the students you have in your classroom. But rarely do we apply the same uh, approach to an interview or an application where we actually need to tailor what we would bring to a school to that individual school because even if a school is on the same street as another they can be radically different in culture in approach in attitude in cohort so we have to do that each it is tiring it is exhausting um, but I think it's such a valuable process and all of the time it makes you a better teacher reflecting on your own practice reflecting on your application it gets better and better each um, revision that you do of it. And I think an important point as well, Terry, is about don't do this on your own. It's such an overwhelming and daunting process. It helps to have other eyes on your application, doesn't it? Oh, look, absolutely. Get some feedback before you submit it. I think in the first place, people like Billy and I are really experienced looking at applications. And, you know, if you've put the time in, then we're happy to give you you know, some input. But yeah, look, I, I think it, it, it can be um, a, a lonely experience. And um, yeah, I think the more you interact with other people, the better. And just going back to point Billy made before too, in terms of disappointment and that, sometimes it's going to be enough to run second. Um, if, you run, if, you, if you come first, yeah, you'll get that job. But just remember, if you run second, you may well get another job because there will, that school will be advertising another position very soon and you've been able to showcase what you've got to offer and they're already going to 
know before the job comes up that there's somebody out there that they've just interviewed it'd be highly suitable and they may encourage you to apply but even as a principal I used to ring my colleagues and ask them hey was anybody that you've interviewed in the last couple of weeks who you'd recommend who you weren't able to appoint that happens behind the scenes all the time so sometimes you don't have to be first to pick up a job one of the things I would ask people to do if they're serious about the job have you actually read these other documents are you across them have you put in the the work because it's not much put point doing half the work and sending off the application because we pretty well know you're not going to you know you, you're not going to pick up an interview so you end up wasting two or three hours you might have to invest six seven eight hours into a, writing the uh, application be prepared to do that because if you're only putting in two or three you probably never uh, pick up a, an interview or a job so you're basically continually wasting those two or three hours so think all right how much of this have I done? Where am I falling short, perhaps? And what work do I need to do? Because, um, you know, it, it does take a lot of work to put it together. But as Terry's and we, we've both said, it's a great investment in your future. And as you say, you may not pick up the job at, um, you know, Billy Green Primary School, but the Terry Toomey Primary School rings me and I say, oh, I missed, uh, we didn't get that person, but by gee, they were good. Um, Terry goes great. We'll, we'll we'll make sure that we interview them. So, yeah, there's lots of spin-offs for doing a good job um, in in your application process. We are running out of time for this webinar, but we've got a couple of questions which we can run through. Funan just asked about what did we mean about cheaper teachers? I said if it's non-graduate, I think we um, we use the word new graduate. Uh, teachers are cheaper the earlier in their career, aren't they? Due to the pay scale simple as that isn't it yeah that's all that's really all that it is is that as a graduated pay school a pay scale and yeah from uh you know graduate teachers right up um through more experienced teachers leading teachers assistant principals yeah they are but i'm just saying the point i was making was that um you know don't, don't be too concerned about that um it, when you're applying for position because honestly i can tell you from experience billy and i would just simply both pick the best teacher re- regardless i wouldn't even think about what it was going to cost us We've got a secondary school teacher who's been applying for public schools through recruitment online never use seek or other job sites um so in terms of seek i'll just run you through from the recruitment side of things um if you're applying for a department job absolutely use recruitment online uh, that's the only way um, department schools who use seek is just kind of letting you know that there's a job on recruitment online uh, so they'll always direct you via recruitment online so you never apply via seek for a department job but lots of independent schools and catholic schools will um, put their applications on seek and then follow their guidance um, some of them want you to apply through seek some of them want you to send them an email or through their own internal website um, lots of different ways to do that And on that note as well, if anybody is looking for permanent and long-term roles, then please do get in touch with Tradewind. We have a dedicated team working on um, finding people long-term roles. Lots changes in school. Staffing is very fluid. So it might not be a right now thing, but certainly the process if you play the long game 
um, it's very important. Uh, we've got a question just from Hillary. Just would you suggest having a pre-formatted cover letter template that alter for each job or, or have a complete different application? Generally, the answer is you can use elements, but from my experience reading lots of uh, CVs and cover letters, the, the ones that are just boilerplated really stand out. Uh, if they've just changed the school name, you can really tell. Uh, so we'll talk about how you can, can kind of finesse that without having to do a complete application uh, every time. Oh, this is a good question as well, just about if an application's rejected uh, once for a school, does that school look at an application again or in a positive light or not? What's the guideline if you've applied for a school, not got uh, an interview, should you apply for that school again? Should leave some time, change your application? What, what do you do? Well, you could uh, because... Oh, well, it's a bit different in the secondary. They, they have lots of jobs. That, look, for, say, for example, we don't, like, it's not a weekly process. Um, quite often we might only advertise once or twice, maybe three times a year. Uh, it's not, quite often, the, most of the time, Terry, the panel's different, aren't they? They, they are, Billy, they are different. And that's where, we'll talk about this at another session, but that's where feedback's really useful too. If you're not quite sure, can you, you see if you can get some feedback about, you know, do I need to do more work on my application or was it experience or was I up against a really hot field? Um, yeah, but look, I, I think um, there's no reason why, if it, if, the, if it was a sound application, there's no reason why it can't be resubmitted to a different panel. But if I've read 60 applications uh, six months later, apart from the candidate <laughs> we appointed, I won't remember any of them. So, uh, likewise. <laughs> yeah, so you quite, you could put in for sure. Uh, the one caveat on that, I would say, if you're putting in lots of applications and getting nowhere, then it's incumbent on you to get some feedback. Okay, we've got three more questions, which I think all require pretty short answers anyway. I think they're all really, really good questions though. If you're a graduate teacher, can you only apply for graduate teacher roles, those ones that are marked, or can you apply for classroom teacher positions? You can apply for any position, just that if it says graduate position, then it's tailored for you. You've got a better chance probably, although it'll be as competitive. Um, and Katrina's just asked, as the selection panel, do you look at the cover letter or the key selection criteria first? What order do you read um, CV, cover letter, key selection criteria? The cover letter, then key selection criteria. Yeah, likewise. I'll read the cover letter because it's gonna be addressed to me personally as the principal usually. And I can tell you if I don't like the cover letter, uh, that'll be a black mark. <laughs> <laughs> for a start so if you're going to put that cover letter in put some time and uh some work into it and you've got an opportunity to uh you know impress someone right, right up front because either way it'll be a tick or a cross last question if you're applying through recruitment online does it matter how early you apply does it make a difference if you get your application in sooner or later you are the panel are not actually allowed to see the applications till the process is till the it's closed so you could be first in or last in. When the panel gets it, they wouldn't know. Yeah, we wouldn't know. Yep. You're not allowed yep. to get a head start on them. You, yep. They can't be, it's like if they were, they're online now, but if they were previously hard copies, they are not allowed to be opened yep. until that date. Very quickly, Jessica's just asked what is the best place to get feedback from. We can certainly provide feedback on key selection criteria applications. Billy and Terry can help you with your application, but only if it's like 99% complete. It's no good coming with something that's 10% complete and expecting Terry and Billy to do it for you. <laughs> just on that point, it's really important because I don't want to get set schools up to fail, like as in like um, 
Most schools, Terry, are too busy to give you feedback on an application if you didn't get to interview, aren't they? Yeah, quite. Yeah, look, I think so, Billy. They'll just say that it's not up you know, that it's not up to standard or it didn't meet the criteria. I was going to make one point earlier, and that was that um, I, uh, too many applications are submitted uh, that haven't been proved properly. And uh, Billy and I picked this up with, uh, you know, applications that are submitted to us. But I was thinking, my God, you know, if I was on a panel and I got that application, I uh, wouldn't get to square one because there are too many mistakes in the actual application. And you really need to uh, make sure that other people have a look at your application for you because once you've read it twice yourself, you never pick up the errors anyway. If you put an application into me as a pri- at a primary school and you can't spell, uh, yep. you won't get the job. I would say as well, a really good tip for who to get feedback off is somebody who has just recently got a job because they've had a successful application and a successful application process. Have a look at their application um, because it's worked. That's a good starting point. Thanks, everybody. And I must say, Terry and Billy, uh, just before we go, uh, really excellent questions and contribution from everybody. So thank you so much, everybody who attended. So many people, so many more people than we'd have in the office uh, for a face-to-face. So thanks, gentlemen. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Billy. Thank you so much for listening to the Relief Teachers podcast brought to you by Tradewind Australia. Please do share this podcast with anybody who you think might find it useful and do refer to the show notes to record it as part of your professional development hours. If you need any help or support as a relief teacher, please get in touch with us at Tradewind through our website or call us on 1800 192 195. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time for another episode of Australia's leading relief teaching podcast.